this morning, we look at the passage that Marka read for us in Mark's Gospel. It's page 1002, if you want to have the Bible open in front of you. We see Mark introducing Jesus through the message of John the Baptist, and I want to to pick out four things from that. I want us to see that there is a great name that Jesus is called. There is great anticipation about his coming into the world. There also was a great repentance. And finally, we just see that here before our eyes, as Mark introduces him, is a great God. Are you good at introductions? Have you ever tried to introduce two people? Well, really, I suppose I mean matchmake. I'm very bad at it, and I know it's fraught with problems, but I have tried once or twice. And I remember on one occasion explaining to my friend David that there was this person that I felt he should meet. And I kind of hedged around the topic, and I said, you know, and I couldn't quite explain to him. And eventually he said, look, just tell me what this girl is like. I know where you're coming from. I felt a great sense of relief that I could talk, in a sense, man to man. So I cut the waffle, and I got to the point. You would like her because of this, and so on. Mark's gospel, in a sense, is a bit like that. It cuts the waffle, and it gets straight to the point. In fact, the whole gospel's a bit like that. There's no ponderous, drawn-out stories with long theological explanations. No, it's straight to the point, often very blunt. Mark is really eager and almost hasty that we should meet Jesus Christ. So accurately and with plain, bold language, he tells us who Jesus is and what he has done. Firstly, Mark tells us about the great name of Jesus. Mark 1 verse 1 reads, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One of the first things that we're told that this is good news. Good news about Jesus, the Christ, or the Messiah. Good news. And as you probably know, the Jews were waiting for their Messiah, who would give Israel back their land and kick out the occupying force, the Romans. But Mark's addressing mainly non-Jewish Christians And he's telling them there's good news because the Messiah is here. Now, the reader or the hearer would have given a collective sigh. Oh, no, not another Jewish revolutionary. Not another Jewish Messiah claiming to give his people what they want. Just, in a sense, bringing revolution to the front of their mind, destabilizing our land. Acts 5 shows us that this problem had happened time and time again. Gamaliel, a Jewish Pharisee, explained how frequently that there was someone who would pop up and lead the Jews, hoping that they could kick out the Romans. Acts 5, verse 36 and 37 tells us the words of Gamaliel. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, 
and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. Oh, no, not again. Don't tell me about another Jewish Messiah. But Mark says, no, no, hold on. This is not another Messiah. This is the real thing. This is the Son of God. But again, that claim wouldn't have had much impact because the Roman Caesars would have said, well, we are sons of God. But Mark says, no, this is different. Because you see, your human rulers who seize power by force, be it the revolutionary or be it Caesar, this is a very different Son of God. This is the Son of God who comes amongst people and instead of crushing the broken, he heals the broken. This is the one who shows his power by healing, by sharing, and by caring, not by suppression, not by sending out his troops. And in fact, Jesus is like no other because he promises to share his power with those who follow him. John the Baptist says, quoted in in verse 8, Jesus will baptize you. He will give you his Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to put into his people's lives power to live, extraordinary power to live. This is a different Son of God. This is the Son of God coming not to crush, but coming to build up coming not to take away, but to give his power for his people to live wherever they find themselves. What a name, and what a blessing to know that Jesus Christ gives to even us today the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live for him. What a name. Secondly, we see that there, as well as a great name, there is great anticipation. You know, like the arrival of someone important coming to visit our country. I remember in 1996 when President Clinton visited Northern Ireland, and he did really what no one, no other famous person did. When he came to Northern Ireland, he crossed the Glen Sheen and he went to Derry. We were living in Derry that time, and no one ever came to Derry. But it's a great city, and the president made it there. And the buzz in the city was nothing ordinary. For months it was talked about who he would meet as he arrived in Eglinton Airport. Who would he meet as he went into the square? Who would be there to greet him? What places would he visit? The place was buzzing with excitement. And Mark, in a sense, is saying, look, this is a big visit. This is something held with great anticipation. And he says it's been talked about not just for months, but in fact for hundreds of years. And he takes us to Isaiah and to Malachi. And he says, 
in the prophet Isaiah, it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You see, Malachi 400 years ago had said, look, he is coming, the Christ is coming. And Isaiah 700 years ago had said, yes, he is coming. 400 years ago, 700 years ago, prophecies that the Son of God would walk and live on this earth. And the prophecies given in the Old Testament are given with amazing accuracy. You know that in Isaiah chapter 7, we're told that Christ would be born of a virgin. And you'll know that in Isaiah 11, you know that he would come from the line of Jesse. Jeremiah 23 says he would come actually from David's family. Isaiah then says that he would perform mighty miracles. Zechariah 9 says that he would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Isaiah 53 says he would be rejected by his own people, the nation of the Jews. Psalm 41 says he would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 22 says he would be pierced through both hands. Isaiah 53 says he would be put to death between two lawbreakers. Psalm 16 says that death would not be the end. And Psalm 68 says that he would ascend into heaven. In fact, there are over a hundred prophecies like this that tell us that Christ is coming. All these things at the very earliest were written 400 years ago. 400 years ago. And altogether, if you put the prophecies about Christ coming if you put them together and if you tried to get odds about them happening in one man's life, you know, the local turf accountant would say, that's impossible. I couldn't give you odds for that because that would never, never happen, guaranteed. But yet in one man's life, the one they called Jesus, they all came true. Over a hundred prophecies came true in one man's life. You see, someone planned it that way. Someone had planned it from all time that he would send his son to die on the cross. Jesus, his coming was held with great anticipation. Yes, this man was more than a man. He was special. He was the Son of God. And the fact that all those things happened so many years ago and came true in Jesus Christ, that must compel us to listen. There was great anticipation within the land of Israel that this man would come. But they missed it. They missed it. Don't miss it. Listen to the one who was held with great excitement that he would come. Don't miss it and listen to him. Mark tells us about a great name, about great anticipation, but he also tells us about great repentance. 
When John the Baptist declared that the Lord was coming, the people took him seriously, and the people felt anxious. They felt they needed to, well, put themselves right with God. And so we're told that they came to him in the desert. Mark 1 verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This message is one of repentance, one of turning away, having different desires and a different attitude. Because Scripture tells us that the consequence of sin is like a terminal disease. The outcome is death. And God talks about hiding His face from us when we sin, like a brick wall between us and God because of the sin that we build and build and build. But yet through Jesus Christ, He breaks down that wall. Yet through Jesus Christ, all of our sin is bundled up and thrown into the ocean. And with this privilege of forgiveness comes a demand for a changed life. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. Therefore, sisters and brothers, we have an obligation, but not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This privilege calls us to make changes and to show that we have made changes. A university student in Edinburgh was to determined to disrupt a gospel service, which the famous preacher Brownlow North was taking in the mid-1800s. The young student filled his pockets with stone and was seated in the gallery. And he thought that during the prayer, he would pitch a few stones at Brownlow North. But as Brownlow North led the congregation in prayer, suddenly the young man was convicted by his sin, and he was wonderfully converted. The stones were never thrown, but they were dropped under his seat, evidence of a changed life. You and I need to be prepared to drop our sins and to drop our bad habits, it is evidence of a changed life. And maybe this morning you need to drop a few sins beneath the seat. Maybe you need to let the cleaner come and sweep them away. Because if you do that, Jesus Christ will honor you. Don't let them hold you back. This life of privilege comes to us, yes, but it makes it makes demands of us. A great name, great anticipation, a great repentance, and fourthly and finally, a great God. The person who tells us about Jesus Christ is John the Baptist. And if he was here today, I wonder what he'd say. I think he'd say the same thing as he did some 2,000 years ago. I think he'd say, I'm just, well, a messenger and a servant. In fact, verse 7 says, after me 
will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and to untie. And John is referring to the practice of foot washing. In those days when you entered a house, the guest would have washed your feet for you. But the task would be done by the lowest servant or the youngest member in the family. And John is saying, look, I don't deserve even to be washing grubby feet. I don't deserve the privilege of washing Jesus Christ's feet. And this is so important for us today because so often in the Christian life, we get fixed on personalities. And in this age of X factor where everybody wants to be famous, the Christian, in a sense, must pull back from personality. It's not about who is the most popular Christian writer or broadcaster or preacher. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let me give you a silly illustration. If John the Baptist was here today, it would be great. And Wesley Owen would have a field day. And under the pages of their latest best-selling authors, there would be John the Baptist. And John would have written a book which we could buy as the book of the month in Wesley Owen. So I thought, well, what profile would Wesley Owen have on him? So let me read John the Baptist's profile as from Wesley Owen catalog. Profile, John the Baptist. John has written over 20 books, including his new book, Here's How to Prepare for Jesus, which is now available at the reduced price of $5.99. John is the leader and founder of the powerful and influential group Straight Paths for the Lord. He is also the pastor of the largest growing pre-Christian church based in the wilderness. He lists his interests as organic clothing, honey, and insect collecting. He is a powerful and popular speaker and is speaking this year at Mandate, Spring Harvest, and New Wine. Want to know what Jesus was really like? Get the close-up, widescreen, full-on truth from his cousin, JTB. And you would have bought it, wouldn't you? Well, I would have bought it. Because we get sucked in, so sucked in to this personality culture. And John would be highly embarrassed and he'd walk away and he'd say, I am a servant in the master's service. John would say, don't ask me to step into the limelight. I'm here to proclaim Christ. And our goal as Christ's people is to point and proclaim to Jesus Christ, for he alone has the words of eternal life. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, whom shall we go? The great names in Christendom, the most popular writers today, no, Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus, the great name, great anticipation held his coming. There was a great repentance, but he is a great God. He is our Savior and our King. Let's pray together.